Turn with me to Galatians chapter 6 as we continue to work through the book of Galatians. Got several visiting with us this morning, and so this is just a reminder to us even who are normal uh, participants here or normal uh, people here who come and visit all the time. We preach through books of the Bible, and so the reason we are in Galatians chapter 6, verses 7 through 10, misprint in the bulletin, it should be 7 through 10, not 7 through 11. The reason we're there is because we did the passage previous to that last week, and we'll do the next passage next week. We we preach all the way through books of the Bible, uh, just that's the way that we do things. It keeps us from being able to pick and choose what we like, and just hearing the whole counsel of God's Word, and so... We're going to, uh, next, we're going to be looking at the book of Hosea. And so next week we will finish the book of Galatians, and then a few weeks after that we will start the book of Hosea. So I encourage you uh, to begin reading ahead and reading through those 14 chapters, and uh, I'm sure that God will enrich that study. And so before we go to Galatians 6, 7 through 10 this morning, let's go to him again in prayer and ask for his help with it. Our Lord Jesus, as we come to your holy word, we are thankful that even if we're in Galatians or Hosea or Judges or wherever we are, we read about your redemptive plan for your people, a people that you set aside from the foundations of the earth, not because they were good people, but because you're a good God. So Lord, we pray that as we come to your word, that you would teach us more about your goodness, and that you would teach us more about how then we ought to be good in light of that. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. In our text today from Galatians 6, we're going to be reading about this concept of harvest, of sowing, and reaping, and it reminded me of an experiment that I do every year with my students at Murray High School, and it's we just grow some plants, really simple, I usually have some sort of seeds around the room, and we plant them, and they grow, and the big idea is that we test whether or not they grow better with fertilizer or not. Sounds like a really simple plan, mostly to teach them scientific process, to teach them how to write a formal lab report. But inevitably, the labs don't go as planned. You know, you've got 20 lab groups, something's going to go wrong. There's always one group, at least one group, whose seeds just don't come up for some reason. We don't have our seeds, Mr. Chipman. What's going on? Well, we, we do some investigating, and usually, uh, as we dig through the dirt to try to find what's going on, we don't find any seeds in those particular groups. And it's because the person that was supposed to get the seeds and plant them probably forgot to do that. And they'll always say, I know they, I planted those seeds as we look through and look for them, but there's no seeds there, and they reap what they sow, which is nothing. Um, I'm forgiving. I usually give them some old data or something like that. That kind of stuff happens in the lab. It wouldn't surprise you that the only kind of seed that sprouts are the ones that were planted. Right? It doesn't surprise us when that sort of thing happens. It's a pretty normal rule for nature that's been around since the Garden of Eden. What one plants, he too shall reap. Pretty plain. 
In our text today, Paul brings to a close this section on the works of the flesh versus the work of the Spirit by presenting us with this natural rule, which turns out also to be a spiritual rule. It's been one that has actually caused me to think very deeply this week about the way that I speak and even the way that I think. Uh, and so it is. hopefully it will be that kind of help for you as well. I hope that you will consider the words here and consider how you can be spurred on to good works, sowing them for a future harvest. It's all points to Jesus, of course, his work on the cross, sowing redemption in the lives of his people and reaping a harvest that has been immeasurable in the lives that we know and our own lives even. So as we consider the text, we'll do so with three main ideas, sowing to the flesh, sowing to the spirit, and then doing good to others. So let's look together at the text, Galatians 6, starting at verse 7, reading through to verse 10. Please stand with me in the honor of the reading of God's holy word. Galatians 6, starting at verse 7. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary in doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are in the household of faith. Amen. This is God's word. You may be seated. So for a bit of context, remember at the end of chapter 5, we had that passage. It's a very familiar passage to us where we have the, the works of the flesh versus the fruit of the Spirit, right? And we had those lists that were help us to understand the plain difference between those two things, which is always helpful for us to see that at the end of chapter 5. If you want to go back through those lists, it's starting at 519. Then last week, we were taught this idea that if we're caught in sin, how we ought to treat one another, how we ought to bear one another's burdens in Christ, fulfilling His law, the law not only to love God, but also to love others as well. And so today we have this kind of culminating idea. What is the end game for acting in certain ways and treating others and speaking to others in certain ways? The end game is that we reap what we sow. This passage has been taught in many ways, even by the reformers, to suggest that this is some sort of financial law, primarily. And they'll take they'll take verse six and they'll add it to that interpretation to say that we should share all good things with the one who preaches, that you reap what you sow, and so forth, meaning that you should pay your ministers well, and they will take care of you. And I guess I can see that. Up to the time of the Reformers, actually, this was the primary teaching on that passage. Churches should pay their pastors, absolutely, not saying that they shouldn't, and the church should give toward that work, but there's a lot more going on in these verses than that. And so this is not just talking about paying the one who teaches, absolutely not. It has to do with the way that we treat one another, how we speak to one another, in general, how well we love one another. When you combine that with verses 9 and 10, I think it makes sense that this is speaking more than just financial compensation. 
Rather, it's a general principle of sowing and reaping, even within the body of Christ, that we must understand. That brings me to the first point, sowing to the flesh. Look with me again at verses 7 and 8. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. Do not be deceived are the first words we read here. This is setting us up, right, for some sort of truth that is self-evident. It's kind of like when someone starts a sentence with, make no mistake, right? It's when they say that, well, all of a sudden it sets us up to understand what they're saying with a certain kind of context, right? It's a call to attention. It's a call to common sense even, right? What I'm about to say should make sense to everyone. When we read those words, we understand that we're going to be told something that should be apparent to anyone, especially those who are in Christ. And then we see... God is not mocked. Again, we're being set up here to hear something. Not only is this forthcoming statement self-evident, but it's also something that God is also fully aware of. Meaning that there are no secrets or sneaky things with God. He hears all, sees all, knows all. I overheard a group of students one time. This was actually recently. They were talking about walking out of the class like five minutes early before lunch. And they were, they said in the, my room is really big, almost as big as this sanctuary really. And, uh, they were talking, they were sitting in the back corner and they were talking about leaving and their conversation was, Chipman isn't even paying attention. I bet we could just leave now and he wouldn't even know. So I let them mosey over to the door and as soon as one of them touched the doorknob, I said, sit back down. I'm not deaf or stupid. God is not mocked. Nothing slips by him. Attempting to fool God or sneak past him means you're only fooling yourself. That's what we get when we read these words. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. When it comes to his truth, it's always true whether or not we want it to be, whether or not we believe it. God's truth is always true. And what is this truth? Whatever one sows, that he will also reap. As far as an agricultural rule goes, this makes a lot of sense. If you plant corn seeds, don't expect tomatoes to come up in a few weeks. That would be really strange. If a chicken lays an egg and it hatches, do not expect a dog to come out of that egg. All right? I know that you're like, that's just absurd. Of course, that's exactly what's going on here. Don't be deceived. God's not mocked. Whatever one sows, he too will reap. This rule makes sense to two-year-olds. It should make sense to us. As far as agriculture goes, it does make sense. But when we get into the spiritual realm, sometimes we think we can somehow cheat this system. Verse 8, beginning of verse 8. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. Remember this word flesh is talking about the portion of us that still remains, that we've been redeemed, but we still deal with the flesh, fighting against the flesh, this portion of us that, that is sinful, causes us to sin. So whatever we sow to our flesh, from it we will reap corruption. The word corruption here gives us a picture of decay, of decomposition, 
not a one-time injury or a wound, right, but something that's decaying, something that's actively getting worse over time. Think of a piece of iron that's rusting. What is that piece of iron eventually going to do? It's going to turn to dust. It's going to completely go away, or like a dead animal even that's decaying over time. Eventually you're going to come back and that animal's not going to be there. It's going to completely decay. It's going to completely decompose. Something that is taking over is all-consuming. And so how does one sow to the flesh? Well, if you go back and you read the works of the flesh, we can begin to get some ideas from there. And go back and look at verse 19 and 20. 21, chapter 5, sexual immorality, anger, dissension, drunkenness. These are all seeds that when planted reap a certain kind of harvest. We could add to these, right? Anxiety, gossip, being a general busybody, arrogance, deceit. We could just keep going on and on and on. But I think it would be helpful to look at some of the outworkings of these, right? When you when you sow something, what is it that you reap? Well, if you sow the seed of, let's say, sexual immorality, you can't be surprised when you have to reap difficulty with any kind of relationship that you have with the opposite sex. That's exactly what's going to happen. Why do you think the Bible confines the sexual relationship to marriage? Because God is not mocked. When you sow sexual immorality, it will be reaped. The harvest is something that can affect our ability to love our spouse in the future, have intimacy with them. It's an important thing. When you sow deceit, when you lie all the time in order to impress people or get a business deal or sell your house or whatever, something really big or something really simple, there's this whole spectrum, right? We all know that. When you when you commit to doing something and you don't do it, when you break your commitments, anything that represents deceit, you will reap a harvest associated with that sowing. Don't be surprised when people eye you suspiciously all the time or just stop trusting you altogether. That is the harvest. When you sow anger, what do you reap? Destruction. When you burn down every bridge in your life, you will soon find yourself on an island. A person who sows anger usually ends up a lonely person. When you sow gossip and dissension, and you have to know everyone's business and make sure everyone knows their business too, you will reap a bountiful harvest of paranoia and mistrust. The reason you don't trust anyone is because you know deep down no one can trust you. You get the idea. We could just keep going on. There's no really need to, right? This demonstrates that the works of the flesh, when planted, only produce a rotten fruit. That's no good for anyone. And for the believer, this kind of rotten fruit shouldn't be. That isn't to say that we won't have it, because we all do. right? We all sow this, this sin, and we all reap their corruption in some way. But that's only to say that we should, as we grow in Christ, we should see less and less of that as the Spirit has influence over our lives. The work of the Spirit should bring a harvest that is indicative of his work. And that brings us to the second point, sowing to the Spirit. Look again at the second part of verse 8. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit 
reap eternal life. So here we have the opposite truth. That when we sow to the Spirit, we will reap eternal life. Rather than corruption, this thing that is actively dying and decaying and going away, this is a death that compounds to more death. We have eternal life, which is a life that compounds to more life. No one is going to listen to a person who complains all the time or who constantly worries and thinks, I really want what they have. No one is going to see life in that, right? No one is going, someone who worries all the time, someone who's anxious all the time, no one looks at them and says, man, I really want that, right? No one wants that, right? When we, when we plant a seed of the Spirit, we will always reap those things that look and feel like life. Oh, that's what I want. When you see that, you think, okay, that's what I want. It brings life to ourselves. It brings life life to others all around us. And if you look at the fruits of the Spirit there at the end of chapter 5, these are the fruits of the Spirit of a Spirit-filled person. And I'm hesitant to use that word, Spirit-filled person. Make sure you understand what I mean, what I say. That Remember, a Spirit-filled person is anyone who is in Christ. This is not a specific kind of Christian that has reached elite status, right? This is anybody who is in Christ is a spirit-filled person. And look at the fruit of that. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. What has to be planted? Think about this for a minute. If these are the fruits, if this is what you actually harvest, what has to be planted in order to reap peace? or of kindness, or gentleness? Are these things that naturally come from fallen man? No. We read that fallen man, no one does good. No, not one. They can't. Fallen man may show these traits from time to time, but only because God is good. Ultimately, true peace, joy, kindness, and the other things can only be known by the work of the Spirit. In order to harvest peace... What must you have in you? The Spirit of God working in you. In order to harvest kindness, one must have the Spirit. These are things that naturally flow from the believer and are planted again and again to reap a bountiful harvest. And I think that is why a lot of writers attach verse 6 to this. Let the one who is taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. When those that are learning share the good things with each other, especially the one who is teaching, but even with other people, they plant those seeds of goodness and mercy and peace and kindness. And only one kind of fruit comes from that. It's all good. Everything about it is good. The world even understands this concept on some level, right? You've all seen this pay it forward kind of thing where, you know, you're like paying for someone's coffee who's behind you in line at Starbucks because someone maybe did that to you as well. And there's this kind of everybody feels good about it, which is not bad or wrong, right? Being kind because Christ was first kind to you is something completely different, though. It's because we have a change that has gone on in us. A real change that only the Spirit of God can bring. And that's the takeaway here. 
is that these fruits of the Spirit are only outworkings of the one who first showed us these things to begin with. What does the Bible say about love? Why do we love? Because he first loved us. We are the fruit of his love. Joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. We are the fruit of that working in him. So for us to plant any other kind of seed is unnatural for the believer. And again, that doesn't mean that we won't ever wrestle with sin. We're in a non-stop war with the flesh from the time that we come to know Jesus to the time that we go to be with him. There's no time in the interim where we can say, I've completely conquered my sin. Why? Well, first of all, Jesus did that once and for all. Second, because for only reasons known to him, God chooses to have us be sanctified over the course of our lives rather than all at once. It would be nice if we were sanctified all at once, but the Lord has chosen that sanctification process for us. And in that sanctification process, Sowing the seeds of the Spirit is part of our work. It doesn't save us, it just shows us to be saved. And that brings us to the last point, doing good to others. Look with me at verses 9 and 10. And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone and especially to those who are of the household of faith. Since the law of sowing and reaping is a spiritual reality, how then should the Christian live? Well, they should live by doing good, which is exactly what we see here in verses 9 and 10. We know that in Christ we have been created for good works. In fact, those good works have been laid up for us, is what we read in Ephesians 2 verse 10, that we should walk in them. It's kind of like they've been prepared ahead of time so that we can walk through those good works as we go through life. So then, it would make sense that we should do just that. Someone who is in Christ, in fact, by definition, is doing good. If they're not doing good, then I wonder. These Those good works don't fit a particular list of things, right? We don't have a list of These things are good works, and if you're doing those, you're doing good. And if you're not doing those, you need to be doing one of those. That's not at all what's going on. We like to limit those things that we wish we were doing. A lot of times we're like, I want to be doing that. But there's all this other good that we could be doing, right? Usually the good that we're doing is in line with our spiritual gifts. We've been gifted with the Spirit in a particular way, then it makes sense that our good works would take that particular shape. All of us have different gifts, and so we should use those gifts accordingly. For some, those works are kind of out front so that everyone sees them. For others, those good works are behind the scenes, which is totally fine. They're both equal as far as doing good. Regardless, those good works will indeed bear fruit, even when we think they're a waste of time, which is exactly what he gets into in verse 9. Do not grow weary... In doing good. For in due season we will reap if we do not give up. That's why Paul gives us this. Because he knows as well as we do. That some of the good we do may go unnoticed. Just like a dormant seed in the ground. Yet they will eventually reap a harvest in due season. The person you love even though they don't love you. 
There will be a harvest there. The person that you are gentle and kind with, it must, by definition, bear fruit. It must. Your continual giving to that person in need or toward a particular ministry will, will bear fruit because the Father who sees that which is done in secret will indeed bless you who is doing that good thing. This is just a law, a spiritual law that we're presented with in the Scriptures. You should do good to everyone, but especially to those, we read in verse 10, who are of the house of faith. Because what better way to glorify Jesus than to love those people that he has died for? If you want me to, if you want to show me infinite love and respect, me as a person, then treat my wife and kids with kindness and show them love. We totally understand this concept. How much more then should we treat those in the church with kindness and love rather than despise them? Someone tells me they love Jesus, but they don't love his church. I question the first thing that they said. Loving and despising both produce fruit. Which kind of fruit do we want to see? And when we think that we ought to be give up on this task, you know, this, this idea of growing weary, which we all understand what it means to grow weary in doing good. We all understand that. Consider our Lord Jesus for a moment. The task that was set before Him. What was His task? Was to take those who were His known enemies, you and I, and was to do good for them. Not just good, but infinite good. Was to do good for them, to die for them, even while they were yet His enemies. Even while we were yet sinners, brothers and sisters in Christ, Jesus Christ died for us. And He did not grow weary in doing good. He persisted to the point of death, even to death on the cross. The greatest good anyone has done was that good that Jesus did. The ultimate act of love and sacrifice. And So the question for us is then how shall we live? We should do good. Sow seeds that show the fruit of the Spirit. Cast down these seeds of corruption. Continue to cut the corruption out of our lives. We don't do this in order to earn favor with God. We should know that if we know anything after studying the book of Galatians, right? We're not doing these good things in order to earn favor with God. We do this because we have have already unearned favor with God. He has given us His favor even though we've done nothing to earn it. That's why we do good. We show ourselves to be His by doing as He does. And we do so free from any fear of failure because we can never be separated from His love for us. But for those who are unbelievers here today, you've probably seen this law to be true in your own life that whatever you reap, you then will sow. It's just a standard rule, right? If I treat others badly, I should expect to be treated badly. It's just a rule for life. For the unbeliever, however, you can only sow one type of seed. And this is sin and death. Because without Christ, you remain dead in your trespasses. And for you, those seeds will reap a harvest of corruption. In fact, it will be eternal decay 
in hell. Call out to Jesus and be saved. The message is for all who would hear. This is the free offer of the gospel. Jesus died for you. Call upon the only name that can save you. Call upon the name of the Lord and be saved. In conclusion, brothers and sisters in Christ, we reap what we sow. So then sow seeds that will reap the fruits of the Spirit and then replant those fruits over and over and watch what God will do. Ask the Lord to show you the corruption that's in your own life so you can cast it off and do so for the glory of God so that we may present ourselves blameless before Him so that the world will know that Jesus is Lord. Let's go to Him in prayer. Our Lord Jesus, as we read here the words of this text, in fact, the imperatives of the text calling Christians to do good. We pray that you would help us. We are so slow to do good when in fact you have never been slow to be good to us. So Lord, help us. Change us, in fact, that we would do good to others, especially those in your house of faith. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please stand with me now as we sing our response to His Word.